Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast, the podcast focused on helping civil engineering professionals succeed by exposing them to interesting civil engineering projects and successful civil engineering professionals around the world. Hosts Anthony Fasano and Christian Knutson had successful but unconventional civil engineering careers and now focus on helping civil engineering professionals achieve their goals in work and life. Welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and this is the podcast specifically for civil engineers who want to succeed. In today's episode, we are going to do something a little bit different. To celebrate the 50th episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, which is still blows my mind, we're going to do a compilation episode. We've gone back and taken some of the really powerful excerpts from some of the earlier episodes, and I'm going to walk you through them in this episode to kind of reinforce some of those career tips and advice, and again, inspiration. It's been an amazing ride through 50 episodes of the podcast. This podcast was born from the original podcast that we did that we still do, the Engineering Career Coach podcast, and we just started getting requests for more specific civil topics, and I just decided, hey, let's start the Civil Engineering Podcast. My background in civil engineering and a lot of civil engineering's followed the original podcast, and that's how we got here. I also want to thank Chris Knutson, who hosted several of the Civil Engineering Podcast episodes. He's done a great job helping out to really bring a different angle and perspective to the show. So thanks to Christian for that. All right, before we get into the compilation, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI, who's also helped to make these 50 episodes possible. If you are thinking about taking the civil FE or PE exam, I recommend that you check out PPI, the leader in civil engineering exam prep. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at PPITopass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. I also want to let everyone know that our online community, the Engineering Mastermind, recently went through a major upgrade and our new forum is now live. It's just amazing the work that the designer did on this forum. They really helped us to create a forum where motivated engineers can go into a private access area and help each other grow. That's really what it's all about. And there's some new features in our forum like anonymous posting. As much as this is a close-knit community that we run, sometimes you may not feel comfortable either in the beginning or if you want to talk about salary or other items. So now at any time, you can do an anonymous post, which is really great because this is not a feature that's available on something like LinkedIn. And again, LinkedIn is millions of users, our community's hundreds. And I hope you'll consider joining because what I want you to do is listen to the strategies on these podcasts, but then have a forum where you can help to implement them and then drive change, improvement in your career and in your life. All right, with that, let's jump into our compilation to celebrate not just 50 episodes of the Civil Engineering Podcast, but to celebrate you as a civil engineer and continue to help you be the best civil engineer that you can be. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, welcome to the main segment of the Civil Engineering Podcast for this episode the way that this is going to work for the compilation is I'll give you a little bit of a preview of each of the clips we're going to play. And I tried to pick powerful clips and informative clips to just kind of reinforce, again, some of these items and get you motivated to continue to drive growth in your career. 
In this first clip, we're going way back to episode two of the Civil Engineering Podcast, and you're going to hear myself and our guest, Amanda Huffman, who was a former Air Force civil engineer who was deployed to Afghanistan on a provincial reconstruction team, a PRT. And her and I talking here for a few minutes about some critical characteristics of great civil engineers. What I'm hearing there is really flexibility is critical and also communication because you have to be flexible and then be able to communicate with your clients or the end users in, you know, what kind of challenges you're having and how it's going to affect the project. And just as a civil engineer myself, I know that while some of the examples I could give you aren't going to be on the same magnitude as maybe building a new school in Afghanistan, but I remember even going to clients and trying to explain to them that, listen, we can't get another X number of townhouses on this site because we need to put stormwater in here or we found wetlands on the site. So now we're going to have to do a whole wetland mitigation and your site size is going to get cut down by a third. And you have to be flexible and you have to deal with that. If you're a younger civil engineer listening, you have to understand that probably nine out of 10 projects that you design on a piece of paper are not going to get built that way because there's going to be field conditions that get encountered and you're going to have to be flexible and you're going to have to find solutions. And if you're an experienced or an executive civil engineer, I think this is also an important mindset because the young engineers coming out of school today have a lot of different skills. So while you're used to doing something routinely one way, maybe using certain kinds of programs or certain kind of calculation methods, you might have to be flexible and open to the idea of some of the new and upcoming technologies that might help you overall as an individual and as a firm or department to be more effective. So Amanda really makes some great points here that I certainly think apply across the board. Amanda, let me ask you this question for any of the listeners that might be interested in getting into specifically international development. What would you say about having a global job, you know, working internationally? Anything you can offer as advice? Just plan for it to take a lot of time. Before I left for Afghanistan, it was recommended to read Three Cups of Tea by Leadership. And he talked a lot about how he went there to build schools, but when he like made the connection with the community, what they really needed was a bridge so that they could get to the local market, and then they built the school. And I think he had, I don't know why leadership didn't follow that, but he had figured out that you have to make a connection with the people and meet them at their level, and maybe you have a plan where you want to get them drinking water, which is a good plan, but that might not be what they actually need. And they might need something else. So you need to listen and be flexible and know that whatever you do in international is going to take a long time, especially if it's different languages. This next clip is from episode three. This is Paul Engwong, a professional engineer and principal in the Newark office of Van Ness Hangin Brusselin, Inc. He's had some amazing awards in his career. I talked to him for a while in episode three about the progression of civil engineers. And in this specific quote, he talks about how civil engineering is different today and how you have to adapt with your different skill set development. Here it is. Years and years ago, the picture of an engineer was someone who had his or her head down designing a bridge or a building and really not having to communicate with the public or, or with their clients very much. It was very technical and kind of one of those things that the picture is worth a thousand words. But today in our field, 
communications is everything. And our younger professionals today, they communicate very differently with Facebook and tweets and blogs. But what I'm talking about is the classical communication skills, the writing, the speaking, and the listening skills that are so, so important today in order to have your audience understand what you're saying and why you're saying it. Moving on, our next clip is from episode number six, where I interviewed Rob D'Onofrio. Rob specializes in claims, evaluations, and resolution. What I loved about this episode is we talked about him developing his expertise. He co-wrote a book entitled Construction Schedule Delays, a comprehensive 1,110-page book on schedule delay law and analysis, which is published by Thomson Reuters and updated annually. What I loved about talking with Rob is at such a young age, he's developed such an expertise in his field, and that's how you be successful in civil engineering. He was one of the project managers for the reconstruction of the World Trade Center. And in this specific clip, he talks about how to find a mentor. And I wanted to include this because this is a guy who's had amazing success as a civil engineer at a young age. He says very clearly that he it was attributed to mentors, and I preach that all the time. So here's Rob talking about that. How do you find a mentor? And was it through just networking and professional associations, stuff like that? Yeah, or, or finding somebody at my firm that was in a position, you know, that I, I really liked what they did. I wanted to be in that position, and I just start talking to them. You strike up a dialogue, you know, communicate the email, call them sometimes, ask them questions. I've been lucky that the people that I've been interested, role models to me that I've contacted and tried to, to get as mentors have also been interested in giving back, you know, helping direct me with my career, teaching me how to think, not so much telling me what to do, but, but teaching me how to think, how to address problems. Moving on, this next clip is from episode 10, where I had the opportunity to interview Shana Carroll who's an experienced and motivated engineer who has experience in sales, engineering, and construction in the geotechnical field. Really, really engaged person. She was very, very vibrant on this interview. And we did get into sales a little bit and the life of an engineer in sales. But the clip I want to share with you is I asked her if she had a big picture goal for her civil engineering career. And here's what she said. When I was in graduate school, my mom gave me a, a quote of the day calendar. You, know, you could flip the page each day and read an inspirational quote. And at first I thought it was kind of corny. And one day I was working on my master's thesis and one of the quotes really stuck out to me. I don't remember who said it actually, but the quote says something like, there's a loftier goal than to stand high in the world. It is to lift others higher. And I really like that quote in terms of civil engineering because it exemplifies what I think civil engineering is, using whatever skills you have to better others and to better the world. Hmm. I struggle on a day-to-day basis with that because the two sets of skills that I have are so different, engineering and analytical thinking, and then writing and speaking and the social aspect of business. And so what I've tried to do on a more recent basis is marry those two and start to write blogs for young professionals and things that I think will help entry-level engineers in their career. 
All right. This next clip is from episode 12 when Chris interviewed Scott Walter, a forensic geologist, author, and the host of History's H2 Network's hit show, America Unearthed. He deals a lot with researching history. He was hired to evaluate the fire-damaged concrete from the Pentagon following the attacks of September 11, 2001. So he's been in some high-profile situations, cases, and he talks in this clip, him and Chris go back and forth a little bit on the root cause of problems on projects when you do research in life in general. It's a, it's a pretty interesting exchange here. Engineers oftentimes are viewed as, as lacking good communication skills. In the, well, yeah. You know, so you almost have fuel, air, and, and a flame source here all together because you've got, on the one hand, people who don't really have a good understanding of the logic and, and maybe logic processes and scientific method. And then on the other hand, you got people maybe that have some, you know, that lack some of the more soft skills, if you will. So there's definitely an opportunity in a lot of these situations for people to be able to work together to try to solve it. And the challenge obviously can sometimes be in getting everybody to break bread and sit down. I think at the end of the day, if somebody asks me, what do you think is the root cause of the issues that you run into when you are investigating these historical mysteries in everyday life and, and in my professional world. And I would have to say that the root problem is not necessarily bad science or things like that that are easily correctable. It's what I guess I would call problems of the human condition. It, it encompasses a bunch of things. But at the end of the day, it's how people communicate with each other. And how these personal things that get in the way that really shouldn't impact certain aspects of our lives, but do, it's just people have to find a way to communicate with each other better. And the reality is, is these problems of the human condition impact our lives more than they should, but that's the way the world works. I'm quick to criticize some of these people on the other side, but as you pointed out, we have to look in the mirror as technical people and realize we can do all this great engineering work and math and science and all the stuff that we do well, but we also have to work on our ability to communicate. And if we don't do that, we're missing out on a huge piece of our ability to do our jobs well. I guess that's the way I would say it. All right. Our next two clips feature our two most popular guests on the Civil Engineering Podcast when it comes to number of downloads on their episodes. The first one you're going to hear is from Will Schneer. Will's a licensed PE and the CEO of Big Red Dog Engineering Consulting. He's also the author of two publications, Land Subdivision, A Practical Guide for Central Texas, and the book on license agreements in the city of Austin. He's got a really impressive story. He started Big Red Dog after being laid off for a few years from a civil engineering company, and he's grown it to a massively successful company. And what he's going to talk about in this clip is what civil engineers need to know about business development. Client exposure, thinking about being able to get exposure to clients as a young civil engineer is invaluable. I mean, I'm, I'm in a very similar position as well because I graduated and I knew nothing about land development and that was my focus. I got into land development and I said, geez, I wish they would have had a land development 101 course in college and they didn't. So I had to learn a lot. I and mean, for me, there was a lot of different disciplines in the company, which was also helpful because obviously in land development, you got to deal with these different disciplines. But I think that that's, a, that's kind of an important thing there that, that we'll allude to. Obviously, we're going to get into business development, but I would say 
getting that client exposure is pretty important, right, Will, early on? Big time. There's no way I had the subsequent career progression to date that I've had without that exposure. To a large extent, your clients become your mentors and your trainers. I mean, yes, you have engineering mentors in the firm you work for, but getting client exposure allows you to start to see how a client thinks, how you need to anticipate their needs. If you pay attention to those cues, you know, that can act as a slingshot effect in your career as a young engineer. And I know, obviously, well, I think we all know at this point from talking to Will for just a few minutes here, that business development is something that he's really good at, which is why his company went from $600,000 to $15 million in revenue. So, Will, I know there's a lot to, we can cover on business development, but let's just get into it and talk a little bit about how you started to develop your business development skills when you recognized how powerful of a skill it was. Sure. That first year we were in business is when I learned, because I, I had no choice. I had to succeed or I was broke with no way to pay my bills. I had no choice but to be successful. And when you put yourself in that position, that's the number one way to learn. It was either learn it or fail, and failure wasn't an option. The first thing I tell young project managers or young people in our company, if they want to be successful in business development, is you have to change your mindset. You're not going out there to get work for you or for your firm. You have to go out there in the course of you having that objective in the back of your mind. You have to give leads and work to other people. So the first bullet point, if I had to sum it up, is you have to help other people win enough work or give away two to three times more to other people than you expect to get in return. It creates a goodwill system. They get the work. They want to help you out. They want to refer you to other people. They deem you as a team player and not someone who's out just for yourself. So that first year was a humble year for all three of us because, you know, we'd go to a lunch or to an event or ask someone out to lunch and talk about us or hand our business card to them if we were at an event. That's not business development. At the very best, that's networking, but it's certainly not business development. All right. This next clip is Chris interviewing Jim Rogers. Jim is my partner over at the Seller Doer Academy for Civil Engineers. He is the author of ACEC's first ever book on the subject of proposal writing entitled Win More Work, How to Write Winning AEC Proposals. And the clip here is Jim's response to a question by Chris about what's going through the mind of people that are judging your engineering proposals. What are they thinking about when they're looking at your proposal? Here it is. What's going through the minds of the judges and how can someone better craft their proposal to get it noticed and actually read by the judges? I think that there, you know, as with anything, there are a couple of different things that you can do. One is to lay the groundwork for your understanding of what their needs are and be able to demonstrate that during the business development process and test your strengths and weaknesses and test your ideas out on them so that you're not guessing when you're writing the proposal. Not only does it help you write a better proposal, it helps you write it faster and with more confidence. And I think that 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 is one mistake that a lot of people make is not testing out their ideas or being scared to test out a weakness with a, a client before writing the proposal. And I can give you an example of this is that I had a client who lost a project because they proposed a teaming partner to do a portion of the work. Let's just say it was land survey. 
and instead of proposing their own people who happened to live across the border of this state in an adjacent state, and they were concerned that those folks or that they may be dinked because a lot of the staffing for this project was going to be done from another office out of state. When they found out that they lost and they debriefed the proposal with a the client, they said, you know, okay, so what happened? We kind of thought we were teed up and this was ours to lose and we lost. So why was that? And the client said, well, we expected to see your guys to do the land survey, but you teamed with another firm. Why'd you do that? We would have hired you if you had just had your guys on the project. And he said, well, we were worried that they were coming across the border, you know, that they were encroachers, even though they're on our team. And the client said, no, I've worked with those guys. That's who I wanted on this team. They knew the area because they worked here before, before you opened the new office across the border and they all departed. So all my client had to do was ask that question when they were meeting with them before the RFP came out, which is, hey, you know, we're thinking about using our land survey folks across the state line to do work for you in the future. Is that okay? Or, you know, is there a problem with that in your mind? And they would have had an answer for that instead of guessing and guessing wrong. They would have known what the client was really looking for. Another question that people fail to ask during that process that can help you with your proposal is, what would get in the way of hiring us? What would get in the way of hiring me? Because then you can either, number one, get some good information from them and be able to address it right there in that meeting or before the RFP comes out, and then reinforce it in your proposal, maybe even as a concession. Say, look, you know, we know that our folks are across the state line, but they're still part of our team and that takes friction out of doing projects because we're all one team and they know the area. We just have to open an office across the state line. So there are a couple of different ways to mitigate that kind of problem. Now, I know this sounds like not proposal 101, but business development proposal writing, you know, 300. It's not really, it's just asking smart questions. And then if you're worried about something for some reason, just ask. You don't have to guess. You don't have to be a salesperson reading somebody else's mind. Just ask the question. I don't think we all have – I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure what my wife always wants from me, so I ask instead of guessing, guessing wrong, or not doing anything at all. That's a reminder. I probably don't do that enough. I'm to remember to do that today. Ask her what she needs from me. This next clip is from Episode 16. It's from when I spoke with Maurizio Lara, PMP, MBA, PE. He's a lead engineer with over 15 years experience as a leader and key contributor, including an extensive private and public sector background. I love this clip because he answers a question that a lot of civil engineers always ask, and that is, would you say that an MBA has been helpful? And you're going to hear me ask him that question, but the reason I wanted to highlight this clip was because... You know, civil engineers graduate and they go out into practice and they're trying to decide on should they get a master's degree, what kind of a master's degree. So let's hear Maurizio answer this question. Would you say that that MBA has been helpful to you in your civil engineering career? It's been very helpful, giving me a different perspective. I have uh, the opportunity to work with uh, different leaders that uh, understand uh, the importance of different aspects of business in civil engineering or, let's say, engineering architectural industry and consulting firms. Uh, you know, you need to know about uh, business development, marketing, operational side, finance, even uh, the management information systems of an organization, uh, how important it is for 
reporting purposes or for project controls or how a project manager can uh, become the face of the company and perform uh, marketing and business development activities. So I think uh, it's been very interesting. I have been exposed to certain areas of, of the business. Uh, I like a lot the business development area. I like to talk to people. I like to offer what our companies uh, do. And uh, that's something that is, is really interesting. In the operation side, everything is about people. At the end of the day, we need to talk with people. We need to know how to approach them. We need to know how to create teams and make them successful and create a profit for the organization that we are working for. So you also are a licensed professional engineer. You have your PE license and you also have your PMP. I guess it's project management professional, correct? Correct. Yes. Tell me about the PMP because that's one that a lot of engineers ask me about. Right. What made you decide to get that? How did that come about? When I joined one of the firms that I used to work for, their main market back in those days was the program management for mega infrastructure projects. There was a specific division dealing with mega projects internationally and also at the local level. Most of the, of the people working for that division, they uh, obtained their PMP certification. Two of the senior managers of that group suggested me to take the PMP exam. And uh, I dig a little bit into the concept, what the PMP was all about. And uh, I realized that the company had a structure very well aligned with the PMP structure or the philosophy and how to create projects and programs and execute them using that methodology. I found that very interesting. I found that very useful tool to execute projects. A lot of people think that the PMP is more oriented to uh, information technology people. And uh, a lot of people think that it's not as useful as uh, it could be for, for civil engineering, but more and more you see organizations using a project management for many years, using project management, customizing a project management system for their organization. Every, every single organization has their own systems and based on their needs and their business approach, they create their own systems. But most of them have that a foundation on the PMP approach. For program management, for project management, they have that approach. And uh, when you have a big, big uh, organization with a lot of projects uh, running and different on different clients, you end up with a big portfolio of projects that you also need to manage properly. Right. So it sounds to me like the PMP is a good certificate or a good program for civil engineers, like you said, not just IT professionals, correct? Correct. There are two different certifications. There are levels of certification depending on your experience. And people can go to the PMI website, the Project Management Institute website, and they can see the different levels of certification. You don't need to have right away the back in my day was 4,500 hours of experience in project management and other requirements. And educational requirements, I believe, were like at least, uh, if I am not wrong, 35 hours. But that might change uh, recently, not drastically. But you know, there there were some educational and uh, say work-related experience in project management. But there are other certification, at least another one that is not at that level, but allows you to have certification 
that is more based on the educational requirement. And I will suggest to anyone who is willing to explore this uh, certification to take that step. And why I say that? Because sometimes we have the idea that, okay, I'm going to be a technical person. I'm going to be a structural engineer. I'm going to be a geotechnical engineer, water resources engineer, civil engineer. I don't really need to know anything about project management. I am the type of guy who likes to sit down in front of my computer and work with my applications, with my, my programs, and do my calculations and produce beautiful plans and, and things like that, which is, at the end of the day, the product that we are going to present to our clients. I cannot deny that. But when you have a PMP, and at least you understand what a PMP is, you can communicate better with the whole organization. You can communicate better with your project manager. The project manager will be able to have a more synchronized language, if you will, to discuss why we need to reduce the risk, for example, improving this uh, design, or the person who is performing design is more aware about the controlling portion of a project, the, how to mitigate the risk, why it's better to plan ahead, why we are doing all these things in advance. Because at the end of the day, project that is well managed will produce a good result, will have a, a happy client, will have profitability for the organization. So it's just absorbing probably in general concept of what a project management is and how we can give a hand to the person who is real, the real project manager in the face of the client. So I believe that that's important to understand that language, to understand the components of a project. I will say that that's a significant improvement in your professional profile, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. If you're a civil engineer and I'm trying to decide on some additional credentials to get in my career, but obviously like the resources are tight, is there one of these that you would recommend that you do first? I mean, obviously, I think the PE as a civil engineer is extremely important. But once you have the PE, if you really want to get into management and leadership, what do you recommend? Is there one that you should do first? Or I will say that, of course, it all depends on the organizations and the resources that you have, the time. I am uh, pretty sure that when you have developed in the technical part, you have your PE, which I believe if you are a civil engineer, if you are an engineer, and you have your PE, in my opinion, that's a first step number one. You want to have a good certification that allows you to show you as a professional engineer who meets all the requirements for, a, for an engineering practice. Anytime you can be certifying projects, you can be certifying companies. As you said, PE is number one. But I understand also that uh, when you talk about an MBA versus a PMP, in terms of money, the difference is, uh, is huge, right? You can take uh, courses for uh, project management professionals within you know, a very reasonable amount of money, or you can use online uh, resources. You can use the PMI website and take courses and quizzes there uh, in a, in affordable. But if you finish your, your PE and you really want to get into the execution of projects to a different level, I will suggest to go for your PMP. Sometimes when you take, and I probably say that from my experience, when you take uh, the MBA early age of your career, probably you are not going to use it as much as you will like to, right? Right. Maybe when, when you mature a little bit more, you will be more exposed to other 
activities and when you are more rounded in terms of technical and project management activities, then you can start jumping into other roles within your organization. All right, our next clip is from episode 20 when Chris interviewed Amanda Payne. Amanda is a business development and marketing expert in the engineering architectural design services industry. She handles all marketing proposal development for St. Louis and Southern Illinois for her company. And this clip, Chris asked Amanda, what is a seller doer? So in our industry, to me, it's basically it's employees who have broad skills sets. They have, they're very good at communication. They're very good with networking. Basically, they are expected to go out there and potentially grow sales and meet clients or prospective clients, as well as they have the whole technical side of their role as well. So they would also be handling the design and or deliver a product or service for the client. So, you know, when you see seller doer, it really is explained exactly as it is. You're a technical person who handles also business development. And the role really began around uh, the downfall in the economy back in like 2008 to 2010, 2011 time when employers were forced to really evaluate their operations and streamline their processes because of the huge cuts in budget and revenue at the time. So that's really when you saw this whole new role develop into this whole seller-doer. And it has really taken off. And I think a lot of firms are still sticking with it because there's a huge benefit to being able to not only go out and meet with clients or potential clients, but to also be able to technical talk as well, you know, be able to talk engineering and be able to they ask you questions about past projects. You can really go into great detail, greater detail than maybe a business development professional who doesn't have the technical background. So there is great benefit to being a seller doer in our industry. All right. Our next clip is from episode 21. And here again is Chris. This time he's asking John Weinstein, who's authored several books on project management, what change management is and what civil engineers need to understand about it. And I pulled this one out because when I was listening to some of these episodes, change management is a topic that we don't talk about a lot on these podcasts. It hasn't come up a lot. But to me, John gave such an engaging answer here. And there are certain aspects of change management that can be very important to you as a civil engineer throughout your career. Let's listen. Let me ask this question because it's for, for someone who's listening who maybe has heard the terminology change management before but maybe doesn't, you know, still is trying to wrap their mind about what this is and, you know, what it has to do with regards to what they do on their day-to-day basis. Is change management really, does it cover the gamut from anything like maybe changes in a change in the code, you know, let's say building code to changes in the environment to changes within the organizational hierarchy? Let's say there's a new partner that comes into the firm or changes in governmental regulations and guidance? Are we talking about all these different types of aspects, or is there something specific that change management relates to? Excellent question, Chris. It is actually all those things, but what I would do is segregate what change management is that we're speaking about more on the, it's on the softer side, the less tangible side, but there is change management more mechanical that's part of it as well. That's not the part we're talking about. So changing the code, the physical act of changing the code, identifying 
what are the changes, where the changes are happening, and who the change might affect from a perspective of building new buildings, whether it's the electricians, the plumbers, or what have you. That's not the change management. IT change management, a lot of folks might be familiar with that means that's, uh, you know, changing lines of code or, and when do we do it? What do we do to make that change? We're not dealing with that part. What we're talking about with all those things is so if we are changing, say, building codes, what does that mean in the larger environment? What does it mean for the government organization that's uh, administering compliance and checking compliance? Does it mean a, a change in skill set that there are new codes that require new skills for people to be familiar with uh, or to have in order to do do the work or to evaluate whether the work is being done appropriately. So if I'm making myself clear, those are the distinctions. It's what the impact is and how it affects the individual and the overall organization. A new code might require a whole new set of folks and skills that didn't reside in that organization before. So what is the impact and how does change need to be managed to bring that new set of skills or that new organizational element uh, into the existing organization? So that's the distinction that we try to make uh, in describing what is change management that we're talking about versus kind of the mechanical part of we made this change on this date and this is the version. This next clip, which is from episode 22, is one of my favorite on this compilation episode. It's from Todd Hay. Todd Hay works for Pannoni Associates. He's been working with multidiscipline engineering projects for most of his 23-year career. And this episode focused on working in a multidisciplinary firm. And the reason I love this episode was because this is where I worked. I worked in a multidisciplinary firm. And there's a lot of issues, challenges, and also benefits of working in a firm like this. In this specific clip, I asked Todd the question, if you were to win a proposal that you spearheaded, but it included different disciplines in your company. How do you go about coordinating the work with these other disciplines once you win the project? And here's Todd's answer. Well, you need to get in touch with those people. I mean, first of all, you you look at the proposal format. Obviously, as a consulting engineer, we base all of our work off of an actual proposal. The proposal is the plan. It's the blueprint of what needs to be done. There are some services that are excluded. There are some services that are included. If we're doing it all in the one wing and everything's included, whether it's included or excluded, we, we want to make sure we understand what the process is and what the, the timeline is. If I'm doing a site plan, the first thing I obviously need is I need to mobilize my surveyor. I need to understand the time commitment that he's going to have, let's say, to do either a boundary survey or a topographic survey, or maybe, let's say, an ALTA-ACS uh, um, uh, survey for, let's say, financial purposes. And I need to understand what the timeline is and how fast that can get done. And as a civil engineer, there, I want to be able to identify with the surveyor what are the things that I may need in that survey that go beyond just doing, let's say, your traditional boundary topo all to ACSM survey? There may be requirements that are local. There may be requirements that are county, statewide, even federal that might be required to go ahead and define the limits of the survey. The other thing as an engineer also with the geotech is I may want to understand what type of swills I'm going to deal with what type of uh, soil characterization I'm going to be witnessing. Are the soils rocky? Are they silty? Are they sandy? The other thing is, is looking at and critical with an engineer is if I'm a site engineer, I'm identifying the stormwater up front. What type of stormwater system am I going to use? Do I need to go ahead and look at, for instance, recharge into the soil 
with the stormwater? Do I need to go ahead and consider what the infiltration rates are? Work with the geotechnical engineer to go ahead and look at you know what type of infiltration rates I'll be dealing with, and then be able to go ahead and put those in the context with the local or the state or the county permitting, so that I'm doing everything up front and setting myself up for success and the timelines that I need to bear in mind with doing the civil engineering. All right, we have two clips left in this compilation episode. The first one I'll give you now. The second one I'll give you right after we transition into our end segment. But this one here is from Stu Wallish, Ph.D. and P.E. He's authored the books Introduction to Creativity, Innovation for Engineers, and Engineer Your Future, The Professional Practice of Engineering. And I've been talking a lot with Stu, especially on his recent work on utilizing the right brain. And in this specific episode... He talks about being a whole-brained civil engineer, using the left analytical side and using the right creative side of your brain. And in this specific clip you're about to hear, he gives one exercise that you can use to become much more creative, specifically mind maps. He talks about using these mind maps to build up your right brain and become a better, more rounded civil engineer. Here it is. One of the tools that I use often is called mind mapping. And in fact, I've got a mind map on a wall right in front of me now. And the idea here is to consciously take a piece of paper and in the center of it, write something that you'd like to have happen. For example, I'd like to give a presentation on my geotechnical work at a national conference within two years. Write that down. And then for the next 15 minutes, just add to that piece of paper with arrows off of that idea, whatever pops into your mind. Do that for about 15 minutes. Put it away. What you've just set up is an interaction between your conscious and your subconscious mind. If you tomorrow pick up that sheet of paper and look at it again, guess what's going to happen? A whole bunch of new ideas. Because your subconscious mind has been working on it for the last 24 hours. This mind map will, in effect, become the source of ideas for your plan to implement that goal. That's my thought. I use it often. I've done it individually, and I've done it facilitating it with groups. It always generates a tremendous amount of ideas. And think about it. It takes absolutely no preparation. It works best, frankly, with a very diverse group. But it always generates ideas. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment. However, in today's episode, we don't have a hot seat where we're going to be peppering a guest with questions because we have a special compilation episode here. But in fact, we have one last very powerful excerpt from an episode that I'm going to share with you. But before I do that, once again, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Engineers often ask me what exam prep materials or review courses they should use when preparing for the FE or PE exam. Hands down, I recommend PPI. I personally use PPI's materials to pass my exams, and I recently had a chance to demo their civil FE and PE review courses. It's why I feel confident recommending PPI for those of you planning to take the next step in your career. PPI is offering a special 20% discount to listeners of this podcast. Use promo code CIVIL at ppi2pass.com. Again, that's PPI, the number two, pass.com, and use promo code CIVIL for a 20% discount. 
And I do want to thank PPI for their continued sponsorship of this show. It helps to keep the show free for you, the listener. And it's been very helpful in having the tools that we need to do the show and being able to be creative and do episodes like this with our team. So once again, just a big thanks to PPI. All right. So now to end this episode, I'm going to give you one more clip from the Civil Engineering Podcast, episode 24. This was a really interesting episode. This is where Christy Mirambell talks about she decided to leave her company back in 2008 to start her own company. And when she told her firm she was leaving, they actually decided to invest in her company and help her, literally help her financially get started. It was an amazing story. And I interviewed both her former employer and her on this episode, which makes it even better. And she refers to Ryan in this clip, who is her former boss, who was also interviewed. And what Christy talks about in this clip is how she builds a culture of motivation in her firm by helping others get ready to be business owners. I love this clip and I love this philosophy. We talk about this all the time through the Engineering Career Coach, through the podcast, through our community. A lot of the people that listen to our show are entrepreneurial. A lot of them have dreams of being business owners. And I think if you're in that state of mind, there's nothing better than that than to have a boss who wants to help you actually do that. And that's exactly what she captures in this clip here. Let's listen. As Ryan's explaining what he did with me, it's kind of funny because I didn't realize it, but I'm doing identical IK Bell. I market to the people. If you want to start your own business and you don't know how, come work for me for about four or five years. I will teach you everything that I know. I will teach you what I've learned worked, what didn't work. And then if you want to go create your own happiness, I want to be able to sit back and say, I remember when with those people. And, you know, I don't look at it as competition. I look at it as preserving our gross profit, because if we can saturate the market with good moral business people, we're going to outbid each other through strategy. I want to win against someone else because you are as smart as I am. I don't want to go against someone that I can just dominate by doing things immorally. And so it's like, I just feel like if you want to become part of KBEL and you say, look, I'm looking for that next step in life and I want to go in this direction. My slogan to all my staff is I want what's best for you, even if it's not what's best for KBEL. I just think that we need to give back and we need to look at others, not as competition, but as another avenue of just creating really good businesses that are out there to do good things. I hope you enjoyed that last clip there listening to Christy. And I hope you enjoyed this compilation episode as much as I did. I had a blast putting it together. It was a lot more work than a typical episode where I might just interview someone, but I think it was worth it. I think it was good to go through some of the past episodes and be able to pull out some of these key tips and pointers and share them with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this type of episode because we may be able to do more of these in the future. You can email me at anthony at engineeringcareercoach.com or you could just leave a comment at the bottom of the episode. You can find the show notes and listing for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 50. You will find a summary of the clips discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any other resources or websites that I might have mentioned during the episode. 
And again, you can leave questions in the comments section. You can also visit the Ask Us tab on the website. We do monitor all the comments and we will respond if you leave us one. And please strongly consider joining our community, theengineeringmastermind.com. I love giving you the information on this podcast, but I want to be able to talk to you in this forum. I want to be able to connect you with other engineers that can help you take the strategies here, implement them into your career, and realize your goals, your definition of success, nobody else's, but yours. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 